Welcome to Forever a Golden Bear, brought to you by the Big C Society, the Letter Winner Society of Cal Athletics and its alumni network. Each week, we interview varsity letter winners from Cal who are excelling in their post-sports careers. Through their stories, we demystify how to ladder into various professional roles, examine what a day in the life in those roles looks like, and explore whether the athlete's mindset, disciplines, and sensibilities provides an edge in post-sports careers. This episode, and actually the first 13 episodes of Forever a Golden Bear, is brought to you by a regular donor to the Big C Society, who shall remain nameless, who made his gift in honor of the thousands of walk-on athletes for the Golden Bears across all of its sports. Anonymous donor, you know who you are. Thank you, thank you from all of us. Your generosity is the fuel for what we produce here. For anyone else who has an interest in supporting this podcast, please go to bigcsociety.org forward slash donate. Each $500 donation funds one episode of this show. Hello, everyone. This is Robert Paler, former Cal rugby player and now executive director of the Big C Society. Together with us today are Sarah Schwartz, a liaison director for Women's Crew on the Big C Society Board of Directors, and our special guest today, Aaron Kafaro of Cal Women's Crew, a two-time gold medal Olympian in the four-seat and the eight-seat boat for Team USA, and she's a performance coach, entrepreneur, and current clinical psychology student at the Wright Institute of UC Berkeley. For some additional context, here's a bit more background on Aaron's ridiculous sports accomplishments. Erin is one of the most decorated female rowers in American history and the most decorated Cal rower, male or female. She was a standout oarswoman at Cal, helping win the NCAA National Championship in both 2005 and 2006. She is an 11-time World Cup medalist, six-time rowing world championship medalist, and two-time Olympic gold medalist, as I mentioned, in both the four and the eight. So, Aaron, I can imagine your neck's probably getting pretty tired holding up all those medals. Now, Aaron is also a two-time honoree of the World Rowing Crew of the Year and 2009 U.S. Rowing Female Athlete of the Year and an inductee of the National Rowing Foundation Hall of Fame. Sarah, is there anything else you want to add to make Aaron blush even more? <laughs> um, I mean, all of those things are so true and so kind of regal about Aaron. I'd say just to kind of bring it down to earth a bit. Um, as a Cal athlete, you know, Aaron was such a phenomenal, um, just inspiring, um, teammate, former teammate to look up to. Um, when I was a freshman, Aaron ran the freshman workouts down at the dungeon (laughs) that we would call it, um, at at Edwards stadium. And when we were, it was 2015, Aaron was the keynote speaker at the national championship. And when we were all sitting there, uh, listening to her speak, you know, we felt such immense pride that Aaron was speaking to the entire NCAA conference before we were just about to kick off. And like, there couldn't have been anything more, more exciting to get us ready to race than seeing a Cal athlete up there talking about her experience, um, at Cal and as a, you know, a well-renowned athlete. So she's an awesome athlete, but she's our athlete, our Cal bear. Um, and so we're so excited to be able to, to have this interview with you today. All right. Are you blushing, Aaron? <laughs> Over the top. Thank you, guys. I, I, am, I apologize for the <laughs> all of that. You guys did a wonderful, wonderful job doing your homework. But um, yeah, I, I guess it's it's all too necessary to start 
at Cal because that's where all of you know my rowing career uh, started. So. Absolutely. Well, we want to dive into that a little bit right off the bat. So you're from Modesto and the last time I checked, there's not a lot of water in Modesto, just canals. And it's kind of hard for me to <laughs> no. imagine some boat or a crew rowing down a canal in Modesto. So I'm guessing there wasn't a lot of rowing when you were growing up. Is that right? Totally. Yes. Yeah. And I've thought, I've thought about it if a boat could fit in the canal, but no, it, um, <laughs> yeah, didn't want to, didn't want to play in, in those, but I, um, grew up playing a little bit of everything, you know, like I, I actually, uh, started dancing when I was really young. Um, and I danced up until junior high school. Um, when, uh, you know, my dad, my dad said, well, kid, you gotta, you gotta start, start playing sports. Um, you know, dancing was a, it's such a wonderful discipline, um, to actually for every athlete, right. Uh, for athletics, but it's, um, yeah, it, it got unhealthy for me. And so he wanted me to transition to sports. And so I started playing basketball and softball. Um, and really, I, I really fell in love with basketball. Um, and I wanted to, I actually even, um, you know, called around to coaches to, to walk on, uh, as, you know, just a bench warmer. Um, cause I just, I love the sport so much. Um, and I still do, like I still have a basketball and go, uh, you know, shoot around every now and again. Um, but my parents, um, you know, really wanted me to, uh, find somewhere that, that, you know, could help, uh, find a sport that could help, you know, maybe financially, um, support my education as well. And lo and behold, uh, you know, crew was still accepting, um, you know, walk-ons that had no experience, just an athletic background. And I believe it was, um, Tom Homo, uh, that, that he, my brother actually was, uh, uh, football player at Cal. And when he, he was playing, um, Tom was the coach and, um, you know, at, at one of the, the picnics after a game, I was talking to him and, um, you know, he said, you should really like, you know, there's this rowing thing. You should, you should try that out. And so he actually ended up talking to the head coach at Cal for me and like, you know, vouching for, um, you know, the athleticism in the Kafaro family. Um, but yeah, I have, I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of people to thank for, for, you know, being able to, to walk on at Cal with absolutely no experience rowing. Yeah. So you said your brother played football at Cal and, um, I want to dive into that a little bit. Like what about your yeah. family dynamic? Like, you know, your father, your brother, did that also play a role in you wanting to get into rowing and then to Cal? Um, Yes. So yeah, my, my brother is, is, um, you know, I, I've never had another big brother, but I think he's the best one <laughs> out there. He really like, even from, even from a young age, like he, he's just like such a gentle soul, um, which is so funny because he was a defensive lineman, you know? Um, but he, uh, would let me play with he and his friends, um, growing up. So like outside, like, a lot of time where I grew up, it was like the central Valley of California. It was still pretty like typical gender lines of like the girls are inside playing dolls and the boys are outside and I wanted to play outside. Um, and I especially wanted to like hang out, you know, with my brother. And so he, 
let me go out and, and play with he and his friends. And he, and he would every time give me a pep talk and be like, only rule is there are no different rules for girls. Like you have to play by the same rules. And I said, no problem. Like, here we go. <laughs> and so I, I, uh, yeah, I have a lot to, to thank for him for like, you know, being really inclusive of me, um, and tolerant. Cause you know, I was the annoying little sister. Um, I'm sure, but, uh, yeah, you know, like letting and just letting me come out and, and, um, you know, kind of play, play hard. You know, we would do home run derby, roller derby, um, you know, broke some bones and got all scraped up. But it was I think that was really like laid a solid foundation um, for me to kind of walk onto this really, you know, division one team without any experience of like, all right, these are the rules. Let's go, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I remember going to, to cow football games as as a senior in high school. And, um, you know, the, the new stadium is beautiful and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's uncanny, especially like you know, that the suite up there where you can have like all you can eat sushi, but there's something very like majestic about that old stadium for me. Like I, I just remember going in there and I just, I, I loved like the old rickety benches and I, and I just, it, it just was so massive. Like, I think it was like the most people I, I've ever seen in one place and all just had the same, like the energy was just encapsulated in this like bucket, you know, in this bowl, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, I mean, I, I, imagine that it's still somewhat the same. I mean, I, I imagine everybody's missing football season right now and being able to be in the energy bucket together. But I just, I, I remember being really enamored with that and, um, saying, thinking like, yeah, I want, I really want to go to a big school and, um, and, you know, I, I really want to go somewhere where, you know, my big brother is as well. Um, yeah. And I, you know, as I, I really think, I really think luck has a lot to do with being, you know, especially getting to the, the upper echelons of, of any sport. Um, and that these were just kind of like the, the little sparks, um, that helped me get to where, to where I, where I went, you know, in rowing. Totally. So dive into that a little bit because, so you said you find out about Cal and you're, you're loving the university, your brother's there and you're rough and tumbling with your brothers and stuff like that. You know, you're, you're resilient, you're breaking bones. You said in your own words, did you just show up to the rowing coaches and you know say, Hey, here I am. And they, they took you on, or, you know, was there a process of you in high school learning about rowing? Um, can you tell me about that too? Like that process of high school to Cal in a rowing perspective? Yeah. So, um, it was a little bit of a rough start. Um, as Sarah can attest, like rowing is the land of the giants. Like they're physiological freaks. Like they're just these gorgeous, at least, you know, like, and even on the men's side, like they're, they're just these specimens of like human physiology that you're just like, wait, like, how did that, how did you get all this like genetic 
luck in one fell swoop, you know, like, especially at Cal where you have brains, you have like the brawn and you have these like, you know, dragon lungs. And I'm like, what the hell? So anyhow, I, I'm a little undersized for the sport, um, you know, and, and, uh, so with that, um, you know, rowing is a, is a game of levers, like the longer your arms and legs are, the more you can keep your blade in the water, the more torque you can get more power, you know, every stroke. Um, and I just, I really, really, um, like the idea that you could, that it, it, it was such a simple sport, you know, that, it, that it gave such automatic feedback. Um, And I just, I didn't even know really what I was signing up for, but I knew, you know, I knew I wanted to go to Cal and I knew this was a a way to get in. Um, And so I, well, actually I knew I wanted to go to a West Coast school. So I started calling coaches up and down the West Coast, like UW, Cal, Stanford, not knowing that these are actually like the best rowing schools in the country. Um, so, you know, I guess I could have done my homework a little bit better. And, uh, they said, Oh, you know, what's your, what's your 2k score? And I'm like, I have no idea what a 2k is. And so this is, this is kind of like when Yahoo was coming out, I don't think Google maybe was really out yet. So I was like, what the hell is a 2k? And so I looked it up and it's on this like concept two ergometer. And I was like, well, I got to find one of those. And so I, I found a, um, a rowing club in Stockton, which is another 209 represent, uh, small little town in the central Valley. And they, you know, were borrowing all this like old equipment from, um, UOPs to have a rowing team. And so I went out to, um, the Stockton rowing club. I think it was their second year, um, with the club. And, uh, I think it was like a model B, which is, you know, I think we're at D or E now. Uh, and so anyhow, it, it, it wasn't a bicycle wheel, which is the first, you know, rowing machine, but it, it was the second version of it. And I just started, uh, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to sit down and do 2000 meters. Cause that's what it, they're all asking for. And so I did, and I ended up calling the coaches back and, um, yeah, nobody really called me back. They're like, how, how tall are you? Like, how, what, what did you do? Like, you know, most of them, most of them were just messages as I can recall. But, um, the only person who called me back was, um, the Cal freshman coach, Ellen Menzer. And she, she said, uh, um, you know, we, we got a call from Tom Homo and, you know, we hear your brother's a really good athlete. Um, so come on for a visit. And so, um, I went out, and Ellen actually didn't end up being the freshman coach. It was another another woman by the name of Sarah Nevin at this time. And she was going around asking all these recruits of like, what's, yeah, like, what are your scores? Like, you know, what what's your rowing experience? And I just like blurted out something like, oh, like 9.59 or something. <laughs> it was, I, I, the score keeps on going up, but it, it was a really bad score. And And she just looked at me and she said, 
don't ever say that again. Like pretend that you didn't say that. I'm just going to pretend that you didn't say that. And so I don't know. Now the story's out and then we can all laugh about it because it actually I ended up being OK on the rowing machine. But um, yeah, they, they uh, you know, by the grace of, you know, something uh they they let me they let me into cal um not because of my uh physical prowess <laughs> by any means um but yeah again another really lucky kind of um act of faith i guess it, it was um yeah. that i i would turn out so you get to Cal, which is this elite rowing program. And if I know anything about Cal rowing is that it's defined by really hard training. Uh, for example, the sweaty long haul erg workouts and the dungeon, you know, the glorious training facility in the bowels of Memorial Stadium, those early AM workouts over on Riona's Reservoir where metrics like VO2 max and pain threshold are tested daily. Um, was it at Cal when you developed this relentless drive you have to push the human body over the edge and beyond? That's a good question. I, I think this is such an interesting question. Um, and I suppose part of the reason why I wanted to go into psychology, like, uh, you know, this, this X factor, I think as some coaches call it, right. Like that, that they're trying to recruit like this relentless drive. Um, that's so hard to teach. Right. Mm. Um, are you born with it or can you develop it? Um, can it be taught? I, I don't know. Like I, I, my mom, uh, seems to think that I, I was born with it. She, she, we actually had a conversation last night about it. Um, of, you know, she was saying that my brother, um, you know, kind of came out of the womb and he was just kind of aware of everybody and everything. And he's just like the most sociable guy. He's like the mayor of, you know, whatever town he lives in. Um, and he's just like aware of everybody around him, but I was always like hyper-focused, like detail oriented. And, um, and I, so I think that might've been something, but I think it has to be cultivated. You know, like I don't I don't think it's um, something you have or you don't have. I really think. Um, and from what I understand in a lot of the research, like context really matters, like where where you grow up, who you surround you're surrounded by. Um, do you have the environment to actually um, play this out, you know, like play this drive out? And is it is it? you know, what kind of coach do you have? Are they, are they the right coach for you to actually express this, um, drive in the, in the right way, you know? Um, so there's so many different factors. Uh, but I, I think, I think it was stoked at Cal. And the reason I think that was, is because I remember as a freshman, um, seeing, I just walked onto this team that was full of these, um, like really fully formed mature athletes, like the senior squad. Um, I don't know, Sarah, if you, you, you've heard about it, but like the, the 2001 squad was like the, that was the first time we had, we'd ever meddled at NCAAs. Um, and it really, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I was a freshman and I had, you know, hadn't taken a stroke really in my life. And so, um, 
but there was the likes of uh whom named Megan Cook. There's another um guy called Moose. Um, you know, there's just really good leadership and they just not only worked hard and just like just showed up and worked hard, but they also took like talk to, you know, the freshmen and talk to the, the lower classmen and like brought us along, um, which I think was really special. So one seeing that, you know, just this consistency of them showing up every day um, and, you know, working hard. And then two, that they actually like accepted us into their community. Like, I think that was really helpful for me to, realized that like this intensity, I think that I was born with, um, could actually be useful in this community. So, um, that's just really poignant, like really strikes me. Just that idea that, you know, everyone's kind of this canvas and you have these things you're born with. People have these certain predispositions, but if you don't have that environment, if you don't have those leaders like you had to show you the way, then, um, then maybe it can't happen, you know, um, like maybe that fire can't be stoked. You can't, you can't work with those embers and that, that structure that you have. Um, I just, that really resonates with me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you say like you're an inch or two shorter than your teammates, right? And I've learned just in my basic research. At least. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Totally. I've learned just like in my basic research that the technique you used to get long in your stroke to compensate for these missing inches can put um, an unnatural strain on your body. And I heard that you broke five different ribs training for the Olympics from this tension in your abs and lats and the connective tissue in between, which just sounds crazy to me for someone who is not in the sport. Can you tell us the story of Cal to be getting to the Olympic team twice and deconstruct what you think you did differently in your approach that allowed you to win gold in the four and the eight for Team USA? Yeah. I mean, kind of going back to the the breaking ribs, it's such a hard concept to explain to people in like contact sports, you know, like in like, why, why would you hurt yourself? (laughs) You know, when, when, uh, yeah, like what, what kind of game is that, that you're, you're continuing to hurt yourself? Cause that's, you know, very rare that somebody has like a, you know, contact injury and rowing. Sometimes, you know, the oar will come back and get you in the face or, um, stick somebody in the the back of the kidney. But, um, yeah, for the most part, a lot of rowing is just dealing with internal pain that you're inflicting on yourself. Um, so when I put it that way, it sounds so enticing, right? <laughs> but oh, yeah. Give me uh, I know, like, sign me up. Um, but there's there's something that um, that's just so interesting about knowing yourself that well, like in knowing um, your own, like, at least for me, that I found so interesting about no, like about testing my own pain boundaries or what I, what I perceived were my own pain boundaries, you know, and just becoming kind of intimate with, um, the feeling of pain. Um, and so I don't know, I, I, I'm trying not to digress too much because I, this is kind of, again, where I, I kind of want to go into my studies. Um, 
and the psychology of, um, I think that there is this, um, yeah, there is this ability to, that you have to, you just have to become accustomed to, um, being mentally tough and desensitizing yourself in a bit, in a way to pain and, um, you know, wanting to, um, just be part of, part of something that's maybe bigger than yourself. And, um, but I also think that on the, on the back end of that, it can be dangerous because, um, because you become so well, I guess I'll speak for myself because I became so specialized. Um, and I think that's almost like the nature of being really good at something is that you have to become so, so focused and so specialized in something. Um, but the trade-off is that you, that I, I became kind of, um, unaware of everything else around me. Right. Um, and with that, I think that that there was just like this relentless drive, if you will, to achieve something great. Um, but what I found at the end of it is it was it was never going to be enough. Like I, there was always another level, right? Like the um, yeah, that that there's always going to be more pain. Uh, there's always more success to be had. And so, um, yeah, I think I, I digress a little bit, but there is a cost to, um, winning. And I think there is a cost to specializing. That is just like, so powerful. I mean, I'm writing yeah, things my down. Like <laughs> <laughs> My brain just kind of blew up there for a minute. I, I guess I kind of, <clears throat> So one of the things that we used to do, I'm not sure if they did when you were an athlete um, at Cal, Aaron, was they would have speakers come and speak to the entire athletic department. And mm-hmm. I remember, um, and it was supposed to be motivational or maybe it was around certain topics, but I remember sitting there and there was um, a speaker who came and his entire presentation was, the crux of it was basically be a river, not a flood. And the message was, huh be a river, you know, focus on what you want to, you know, what you're supposed to be focusing on. Don't get distracted by, um, you know, while we were at Cal, you know, partying clubs, that's how at least I interpreted it. And so it was this, okay. what I perceived to be such an amazing opportunity to talk to the entire athletic, the student athletes about the opportunity that they had while being on Cal campus to take advantage of the entire environment and the entire culture. And this guy really got up there and was like, don't, don't get distracted, like focus on winning, focus on doing what you want to do. And I just, I thought it was, um, it really hit me hard because I was struggling at the time as an athlete with being on this amazing campus, um, the opportunities that were available to us as athletes that we really didn't get to experience because we were being told to be so focused and so disciplined. And so I guess what you kind of talked about just a couple seconds ago, you know, that kind of, that crux really, um, resonated with me, especially in the context of that story when we were at Cal and someone saying, be a river, not a flood. And, um, you know, be so focused mentally and physically on your sport that you don't have the opportunity to explore these other pieces of your identity, which I think really 
is um, a disservice to the athletes because at the end of their experience, they have to be able to kind of zoom out the lens and be able to figure out who they are. And for four years, they've trained to kind of quiet that down. Yeah, that that's so interesting, Sarah, that you kind of had that like, um, yeah, curiosity. Like even, you know, I think in, in college, there's just such a sponge, but to like, and you're starting to question things and, and what, you know, authority or what people are saying and they're teaching you how to critically think. But I, I think that is just, I mean, that goes to show why you're so successful now because you probably took a pause and were like, wait a second, like, this might not be what I want to do. You know, like I don't want to be hyper-focused on something. Um, and I mean, to be honest, I, this is where I kind of, this is where I kind of, uh, maybe go into the gray a little bit, but I don't think there's a wrong way. I actually don't think it's a bad thing to be hyper-focused. I don't think it by any means it's a bad thing to be zoomed out and be more, um, well-rounded like Machiavellian, you know, like I, I just think it really matters how you integrate that into your story, like into your entire narrative and, and just being really, and having like being really clear about the meaning of it. Um, yeah. And, and so that, that's kind of where, what I'm finding and, and I'm finding a lot of crossover and, you know, I worked with the, um, uh, recovering, um, alcoholic and, and, um, you know, the pretty severe recovery population last year with, um, in a clinic and there's just so much crossover in, in what I saw in this like transition from sport, um, of like, you know, it, it's just so hard sometimes to, to look at, look at the past and, and think, you know, like, oh, I could have done this or I should have done this when instead it's, it's really about like making, making some sense of it. Like this is, this is part of who I am. You know, this is what I, this is the decision I made. And, um, this is how I want to move forward. This is what I want to focus on now. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there is something to, I think that, that there, I think you're spot on Sarah. Like there is something that, that you are, um, sacrificing by being hyper-focused. Um, and I also think there's something being sacrificed by not being decisive, you know, and, and choosing a path. So, um, I, there's no, there's no wrong way. It's just, it's, how do you, how do you make sense of it? Totally agree. Mm. That's really powerful. And jumping back to your rowing career, career here. I mean, I was practically running out of breath in the beginning, just talking about all your accolades and, you know, everything you've done in your Mm. rowing career. Um, can you tell the story of this other side of your Olympics experience? You know, we talk about it like this man on the moon syndrome, um, you know, when you're coming down this mountain and that shift in identity you had from Olympic athlete to civilian or this real life, as it were, how did that transition play out for you? Yeah, I, um, you really did do your homework, Robert. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think this, like this, idea of, um, 
I, I heard this like man on the moon syndrome from a friend who, who, um, he works like over in, you know, robotics at NASA. And when I was telling him my experience, um, you know, after winning the second Olympics, well, let me, let me rewind. So the first Olympics, um, I, I was just on the, I was on the national team for a couple years and it was like this really quick, like ascent, um, you know, really tumultuous. I was injured every six months and then, found, you know, kind of found my like groove, um, found a great mentor and made the team, um, in 2008. So I made the first Olympics and, um, we won and it was all just, it it all happened really quickly. And I didn't know what was happening. There's this great photo of me on the podium with like all of my teammates, like smiling and like crying. And then I, I'm like one step away looking at them being like, (laughs) I don't know what just happened. Um, but like also I'm like, you know, was, was almost like dumbfounded. Like did that, like, wait, all what just happened, you know? Um, and so I remember standing on the podium and being like, I need to do that again. Like, I didn't really feel that. Like, I don't, I don't think I did that right. Like that, that shouldn't, I'm I'm missing something like I should feel really satisfied standing up here on the podium Um, because isn't that what everybody dreams of and like what we're all working for like isn't you know there's something there's something at the end of the rainbow right and so I was like okay let me let me go back I'm gonna do this again I'm gonna do it right like I'm gonna do all four years and like really like grind in and um, yeah just just become a better, um, more aware athlete. And lo and behold, to Sarah's point, I think I went deeper down the river. Um, and I just, you know, fortunately, uh, was found myself standing on top of the podium again in 2012. Um, mind you, I was, I was part of a, a, an amazing group of women, um, that, you know, I was not by any means in a, in a single, uh, I was not a single person, um, that, that made this happen. So I, I was just, again, luck (laughs) that I was part of this, um, these phenomenal athletes and humans, um, as teammates that we were able to win twice, uh, together. And then the majority, the core of the team stayed together um, in 2012 as well. And so I found myself again at the top of the podium. And I remember again watching, uh, I was always in the back of the boat. I was kind of like, you know, the, the, again, one of the smaller athletes, but I had, the, I had the, the view, the purview of like everybody and their process. And I'm watching them and they're crying. And I felt like these really hot tears streaming down my face too. And I'm like, I don't know what the, like, I don't know what these mean, but I did not feel fulfilled or happy or, and I actually, I think I was really scared because I was like, I did this all again (laughs) and thinking that like, I standing at the top of this podium is really going to make me feel, feel this finality of happiness and, and like arrival or like that I did it all right. And everything else is just gonna, um, you know, 
that hard work pays off and, you know, that the world will make sense. Um, and it didn't, if anything, it made everything feel more confusing. Cause I was just like, I don't feel fulfilled at all. Like, in fact, I want to go again. <laughs> and, and that was the point where I decided I need to retire. Like I'm chasing something that I don't think I can ever capture. Um, and lo and behold, this is actually quite a research phenomenon and, and, and happiness. They call it, I think they call it like the hedonic treadmill of like, you can never quite achieve happiness, if you will. It's always, it's like looming in the shadows. And so, um, you know, what was satisfying, um, at one time will never be quite satisfying the next time. And so you're always just chasing this, you know, thing that, that you can't really grasp onto. Um, and so, yep, that's when I knew I needed to move on, um, and find something else that, um, that was, that was more that, that I felt could be more fulfilling for me. Did you, Oh, I was going to say, did you, did you communicate that to anyone on your team at the time? Did you talk about that kind of stuff? No, I, no. Um, I, I don't think I had the words for it. Um, I also think again, to go into like the, the wonderful thing about being specialized is I, I, I was so fluent in movement. Like I, I really knew how to express myself through movement and training. And like, you know, I could, if my did some this with my pinky or I, you know, put a little bit more weight on my big toe, like, but I didn't really know how to use words. Um, and as you well know, Sarah, like the culture of rowing is not, um, I guess it's just, it's, it's all about mental toughness. And there, there's really, from what I'm finding, like no room for, um, no room for like emotional, um, intelligence really. Um, and so I was, I was embarrassed. Like I was embarrassed that I wasn't feeling great at the top of the podium. And like, you know, I, I went around, the worst part of this is, is like, I, I went around to, you know, I got to talk to all of these elementary schools and do, you know, these speeches and everybody wanted that. That's the question I would always get. Like, how did it feel to stand at the top of the podium and hear the national anthem? And I, I lied. I, I had to say what they wanted to hear. Um, until now when I'm like, I actually think in a weird sick way, <laughs> I think this story is more hopeful. Um, so that's why I, I've just begun to share this side of it. Um, cause I think that there is, um, I don't know, in going this far down in elite sports, I think you have to you have to be aware of what you're going towards and what you're going to be up against in the transition, right? Um, every athlete at Cal is, is 
probably really, really good at their craft. Right. And so it's going to, it, it's, um, it's a wonderful place to be because it's like positively reinforced by like family community. You know, you get all these like, um, yeah, positive reinforcements for putting yourself through pain. Right. And, and, um, you know, entertaining and, um, and let's be honest, it, it actually feels really good. It feels really good to win. It feels really good to be part of a team. I don't want to take that part away. Like, a, that, I think that was really what drove me. But this idea that success at the end is going to make it all worth it. I think that that story needs to change. I just want to say like how much I relate to this. You know, we talked online a little bit and um, you're familiar with my story. And for everybody who's listening, yeah. um, I was paralyzed in the 2017 Collegiate Rugby National Championship, complete quadriplegic, couldn't move or feel anything below my neck. And my doctor said I never would again. And uh, and I didn't believe him. Yeah. I said, screw that. And I fought it. Um, and eight months of rehab and eight to nine hours a day, I was able to get on my feet. And just like, you know, you have this 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 vision in your mind, like this picture and, oh, this is how it's going to feel when I stand on the podium. Um, I had that similar vision in my life in a different context where when I get on my feet, everything's going to feel great. It's going to be this moment of finality. And, you know, and I do it, I like beat all the odds, you know, I walk in, I sit back in my chair afterwards and I'm like, that was it. <laughs> you know, it's done. And like you said earlier too, there's no finish line. Once you finish that, it's on to the next tag. It's like, okay, Robert, go over to your next workout now. Um, that's just like so poignant, that story you have. So, you know, if maybe success oh isn't, gosh. you know, me getting on, on my feet, doing what doctors told me would never happen. If success isn't getting on the podium two times in the Olympics, what do you think success is? First of all, I want, I want to thank you for sharing that story. Cause I think, I think that's even, even more powerful. I mean, it's something I actually have a curiosity about, you know, I, I always, I had this, like had this theory that, that people whose sporting careers, you know, didn't end in this ideal, you know, way that I thought they adjusted better because they still had this fight, you know, and that they, you know, still, that they still had this hope. Um, mm. so I, yeah, I, I just, and I, and I still actually, I still think it's true. Um, but I, I just, I just think that's so, that's such an interesting, like parallel story about like getting actually, get, you know, getting on your feet and then, realizing, okay. And now I have to go back to work, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so back to your question about success. Um, I don't know. I have a really, I have a really tough time, um, knowing or, under, or yeah, understanding what success is, um, or, or thinking, or thinking that that's what, what we're all going for anyhow. Right. Um, I I think it's something that's very, it's a very Westernized concept and, and, you know, this individualistic society that we're, we are part of, and it has this, you know, again, like 
wonderful message of like accepting everybody's individuality, right? Like this is, we accept a lot of people who are persecuted because, um, their individuality isn't accepted. So not knocking our culture by any means. Um, but this like pick yourself up by your bootstraps, like, um, you know, self-made, successful person and then retire at age 65. Like I just, I think this, it's just a, it's an unfinished story. Cause I, I, I don't, I think the success is being flexible, right? Success is, um, it, to me, like accepting the different life phases, um, and just like the un- un- uncertainty of it all. Actually, that's like, from what I'm learning, like in psychology, that's, that's the goal. Like that's the goal of helping people, um, become more comfortable with themselves. Right. Like in, and, um, in therapy, like goal is to tolerate more distress. Actually, it's not to be more successful. It's actually to tolerate more distress. Um, and then in, in another like orientation, it's to tolerate more ambiguity. So to be able to hold more uncertainty. Um, and I, I, when I learned that, I was like, yes, like that, that kind of, I, I feel like I can grasp, I can grab onto that concept of like, no, it's not about like getting a house or like a picket fence or retiring, you know, at a certain age. I think it's, it's literally like how much, how much can we cope with, you know, and how, how gracefully can we do it? Um, yeah. So, you know, what just came into my mind was Rocky Balboa, the (laughs) motivational speech that just about everybody knows life's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. That just like, it strikes an extreme parallel to what you just spoke about, like how much you can take. And I think that's just, that's rooted in sports and athletics. Um, You talked about rowing, you know, you're inflicting pain on yourself. Um, You're doing these things that just seem insane, Um, but you keep going for it. You you keep pushing through that. Um, I mean, you got like hair standing up on my skin right now. And that is just like, that's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. I want to now. I want to dive into your your um, career journey, your career arc post Olympics um, and everything, and you know your performance coach. And by the way, I want you to be my performance coach now after listening <laughs> to, to all of this. Um, but what made you choose this career as your post professional's career? Was it out of kind of a form of convenience and familiarity because you were already this expert, as you know, maxing out and pushing your body? What, what is it that made you want to get into this career once you um, decided to retire? I. Okay. So obviously if you haven't learned already, things aren't, aren't quite, uh, black and white with me. So, um, I, 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 after I, uh, I guess I'll take us back to like stepping, you know, being on the podium in 2012 and realizing like, shit, this isn't it. Like I, this isn't, this isn't fulfilling me. And so I, at that time, um, was, 
had, had just been surrounded by some, some really wonderful coaches. And so I'm like, that's it. Like I need to, I need to just pay it forward. Like that's going to be more fulfilling to help somebody, you know, live out their dreams, um, and share, you know, all this knowledge I have, um, about how I got to the top of the podium. Like that's going to be fulfilling. Um, and so that's when I, yeah. So I went directly into coaching, um, after, after retiring. Um, and I had a hell of a time, uh, coaching, to be honest. I, um, Sarah, I remember, uh, coaching you guys like down at, you know, when I came back, um, and I, I was tough. Like, I, I don't think I had, I was, I was really, I, I actually start. I think I was talking to the athletes. Like I talked to myself, like it was, it was very like no bullshit, get it done. No excuses. You know, you can't do a push up. No, that's not good enough. Um, and all of this, like really like harsh, like, um, language that I, that I, yeah, used to, to motivate myself and it worked. Um, but again, it was like fueling these demons that like, I just realized, you know, for, for a lot of people, like that's, that's just not the, that's not helpful. Not a lot of people for everybody. It's not helpful to like, you know, question how, how hard they're going. Like that's really bad coaching, (laughs) you know, like, um, and so I got stuck. Like I was like, I don't know how to, how to, um, help someone like cultivate their, their own fire. Like, I'm just giving them my fire. Like, I'm just like, go hard, not enough, you know, keep going. And that, yeah. And that, um, again, only works to a point, right? Because it's not empowering the other person. It's not helping them learn more about themselves. It's literally just, um, I think it's like level one of like really learning, knowing yourself. Like, I, I think about this with like, discipline is, is just that's like novice. Like that's beginner level. Like for a coach to be like, do, do what I say, you know, like there's this great book, um, uh, this old like lifting coach, Dan John. And he's like, I don't, I don't coach. I don't start coaching unless, um, I don't start coaching an athlete unless they brush their teeth and brush and floss their teeth twice a day. Um, because, I don't want to teach discipline. Like I want to, I want them to like already have that. So then we can actually get to the, the interesting stuff, but, um, I don't know, long story long. So I, I just, I, I think I was just coaching discipline, if you will, and just like shooting out skills and whatever, but not really being able to pay attention to what that person needed. And so I, I had a really, um, when I stopped coaching, it was because I was actually coaching two of my teammates from 2012. Um, they were making a run for the 2016 Olympics and, um, one of them, her mother had passed away from breast cancer in 2012 and she, she made it and her mother's, you know, wish for her was, was to be an Olympian and to get a medal as Olympian. That was like her, her which is just a, 
wonderful, but brutal, you know, last words to have from, um, you know, your mother of like, and so that's all she knew. She, she wanted to go back and, and, you know, fulfill, get another medal because she, you know, didn't really know what else to do, but was, was just needed, needed more, um, warmth than I, than I was really giving her. Um, and this other, this other athlete, I think, um, yeah, she, she just, we had a really hard, we were kind of built the same. Um, but she just had a really hard time of like really owning, really wanting to like own the work, you know, and take responsibility for the pain. And, and I, I don't blame either of them. Like this is, you know, and it just, it didn't work out. Like I was not the coach for them. It was not the, it was not the time for me to be coaching. So, but it, it sucked. It sucked that I couldn't help somebody. I, I, I just, I became extremely humbled and realized like, I need to go back to school. Like I need to learn more about how to like relate and listen to humans um, and be a better contributor to society because like, yeah, telling them like not good enough or giving them, you know, throwing skills or technique at somebody is, is not going to get the best out of them. It's actually helping them like be more resilient and flexible and um, yeah. And so anyhow, as <laughs> I digress again, um, that's, that's how I got, uh, I, I applied to, um, this doctorate program a couple years ago, um, in Berkeley. And, uh, it was, it was one of the only programs in the country that you got to work with people in the first year. So I got to work in a clinic, um, you know, as you guys can appreciate, like as an athlete, like, I'm like, I don't want to learn about it. Like, get me in there, coach. Like, <laughs> just put me, put me in there. And so that, that was why I chose the right Institute, um, that, and, and they just have, yeah, just, just wonderfully, uh, wonderful professors and, and support. Um, but yeah, I want to back up chronologically for a second here too. Um, because it seems like you and your all world elite trainer, Brian McKenzie operated a number of businesses together over the years. And that in those companies, you wore a number of different hats. Can you paint a picture for our student athlete listeners who may be considering a career as a performance coach entrepreneur, what a typical day looked like. And that is to say as a small business owner or operator and talk about those unofficial roles that maybe a performance coach might occupy in addition to this coaching context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Easily. I forget, uh, that part. Yeah. That I, I was, I was, um, running operations on, so he, um, you know, at the, in 2012, um, Brian and I were still, um, just dating, but he, he was, he was a very charismatic and forward thinking coach. Um, and so I just, I really liked his messaging around, um, it's quality. It's about quality, not quantity. And it's, and it seems like so simple, but in the endurance world, like that is such a novel message of like, you know, every, we just think of like 
repetition, repetition, like do it again. You know, um, I'm sure you can, yeah, appreciate that with all the 20 K rows, uh, Sarah, but yeah. So with his messaging, um, and, uh, just different way of, of looking at, at training and getting the best out of somebody of, about doing more, focusing more on the technique. Um, I could really get behind that. And so, um, I, he, he's, he's still like the constant entrepreneur. Um, and so he, you know, started a supplement company, um, and, so I started, you know, organizing, um, that, and then, um, you know, had this, this training company going, um, and I started organizing that, but, you know, Brian is a, he's again, very, a very good starter and I'm like a finisher. So I was like, you know, trying to jump around and trying like to finish all these projects and organize them. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I find it really interesting. And when I was, um, I went to a, a seminar for the USOPC and they, they gave a statistic that like athletes, um, majority of athletes want to be entrepreneurs, which I find so funny because like for the most part, like especially team sport athletes, like we work so what we like know how to work in a team. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that there's this like, relentless drive and to, um, that I, that I found as well, like to doesn't matter. Like, I don't want to work a nine to five. Like I, I want to like find this goal of like doing something really hard and challenging and bring it to life. Um, and so that was, I mean, I, I suppose that's kind of what I tried to help do, um, with all of Brian's ideas. Like I, yeah. Uh, not being an entrepreneur is, um, is, I, I don't want to paint a pretty picture if I haven't <laughs> already kind of <laughs> pushed, put a hole in that, uh, that balloon. Um, but being an entrepreneur is really hard because in sport, I think the reason why it's, it's so great is because it's a, petri dish like it's a petri dish of stress and there's rules and there's boundaries and everybody follows the rules and you know there's a time to go to practice and there's a workout to finish but being an entrepreneur like there's no end again going back to this like Mm -hmm. there's no arrival um it actually made me like really frustrated like i had to leave work on unfinished every single day. Like there was never like, even if I like had a goal for the day of like, okay, I'm just going to like respond to all the, you know, customer service messages, or I'm going to like build out, you know, the, the new, you know, financial plan or, or some like marketing email message or something like that. It just, it felt so unsatisfying because there was, there's no rules or boundaries Um, and so anyhow, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was really hard. It was a really hard transition. I think for me to go from this sport where it was like, you know, there's a finish line and there's a certain workout every day to gosh, when it, you know, when are, 
when is it done? You know, like, I don't know, but, um, yeah. So here we are. <laughs> I, I, I think, but I think it's kind of like the self-selection. Um, at least this happens in rowing, right? Like we're not going to paint a pretty picture. Like if, and we're going to, it's going to be really hard. And if you still want to keep going, like if you're still interested, then good, then you should, you know, but it, I don't think, again, we should make, uh, I don't know, this transition, if you will, or the options. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good saleswoman, as you can tell. But I think if you, yeah, if you, if you really um, have this great idea and this um, capacity for ambiguity and distress, then by all means, get into entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> what are the skills that have to be developed? Is there um, some prerequisites that you have to, to accomplish for like our regular non-Olympian people who want to get into this kind of career? Um, do they need special degrees required, like routes that have to be taken? Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, to be an entrepreneur? Performance coach. Entrepreneur, Performance coach, yeah. yeah. No. And I think that's kind of like the great and the scary part. <laughs> you don't need any prereqs. Um, as, uh, yeah, my former partner, Brian used to say, like, I went to the school of hard knocks. Uh, and it's just, it, is, it, it really, it really is. It just, I think it just takes relentless persistence. Um, Oh, there's a great podcast. Um, Guy Raz, um, how I built this, how I built this. Yeah. He's such a, he's such a great interviewer. Um, but yeah, he, he interviews a lot of like, um, entrepreneurs that, you know, created successful companies and it's really interesting to hear the stories. Like I just, um, heard one about, uh, Tony say, I think, I believe that's how his last name is the, um, gentleman who unfortunately just passed who created Zappos or was one of the co-founders of Zappos. And he just talked about like, there are so many times where they should have thrown in the towel for Zappos, but he just kept going, you know? So I think there has to be this, like, again, relentless persistence and, and drive, um, and, uh, I think as a performance coach, if you will, like I'm still learning. I, I don't think, I honestly don't think I'm a good coach yet. Um, I have been fortunate to be surrounded by a lot of good coaches and I, and I, what I can say about them is they're what separates, I think what separates a good coach uh, from a great coach, I guess, I guess, um, these great coaches like have the ability to sit and listen, like, and, and just, I, I, it's more than listen. Like it's, it's like, look at you in your eyes and like be with you, you know, like really, they really want to understand where you're coming from. Like I had this, um, great mentor. I'm, I'm actually thinking of like, as I'm thinking of this right now, um, or as I'm reviewing this of like, when I'm like sitting across from him, he is not, there's nothing going on that will distract him from 
looking at me. Like he is just so engaged. He's like, what's going on? How can I help? Let's, you know, let's like find some solutions, you know, like, and it's, it's this, I think it really, and then this is, you know, actually what I hope to be as a, as a therapist as well is just helping somebody feel important, like that, that they really, that they really matter, that they're really necessary, you know? Um, and I think that's what a great coach is. Um, and I, you know, I hope to get there. Yeah, absolutely. That's just so powerful. And I want to return to the subject of psychology that you're studying. Now, mental health is such an important performance and health factor. And it's the subject as you're right now, especially a young among athletes. Uh, can you describe to us how you think mental health ties into athletics and what improvements do you want to see made in this area? How much time do we have left? <laughs> <laughs> As much as you'll give us. Um, yeah. I, again, I, I am, I'm such a grasshopper and like that. I, I, I really want to understand more about this. I think there's this wonderful movement that's happening right now in the world of sports that there is um, more of a spotlight on mental health, like more than ever in the history of, of the sport. And which is like, just so ironic because anybody who's, who's, you know, been, um, at, you know, any level of, of sport really, I mean, you realize that there's not much that separates you physically. I mean, and especially at the Olympics, like you're looking over at somebody and you're like, physically, like they're, they look much, you know, more qualified to be here than I am. So I think sports in, in the end is really a, a psychological game. Um, so, yeah, just the irony that mental health is just now coming around um, and, and in getting some traction is, is kind of funny. But um, I, I also, I, like, I'm, kind of curious as to as my, my old uh, national team coach used to say is like be careful opening Pandora's box um, which was his way of saying don't go to therapy <laughs> um, wow yeah not so subtle right but yeah. um, I think you know at first and when I first started studying um, I was like god like that is, that is the worst message to give somebody. And, and I really don't, I, I, I think it's not, it's not healthy, right? Like it's, it's not healthy to be repressing a lot of, um, especially like, uh, un, um, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of emotional stress. It, it'll come out, it'll come out in the weirdest ways if you, if you aren't processing it. So don't think that's the solution, but I do think there is something to what he's saying. Like, I think that there, that, um, from what I'm gathering, a lot of the really successful athletes, if you will, to, to throw that word back in there, have really strong and fast demons. 
like there's something fueling them to be obsessively pushing themselves to the nth degree. I actually think that people who, and again, I don't know if we were born this way or if it just becomes this way, but like, um, or if we create these demons rather, but like to take away all of that, I guess, psychic energy, if you will, um, to open it up all at once can be really dangerous, you know? And I think, I do, I I do think that, you know, there are some well-adjusted athletes that are doing it for the love of the sport and for community and, and, you know, for their country and, and whatnot. But to be honest, like, I haven't seen like, those are, those are the unicorns. Um, I think for the most part, a lot of people are no, um, a lot of psychological distress and, and sport is a way for them again, to have these boundaries, to have this like family, if you will. Um, and to feel somewhat safe in, in this world of like uncertainty. So, Um, I think mental health is important, but I think it needs to be done very carefully, especially with athletes, because it's this, you have to like learn with the right, with the right, um, you know, therapists and psychologists, they will help you learn how to, again, like integrate this identity as an, as an athlete and, you know, what may be driving you to want or need to be so successful, um, into something that's a little bit healthier, you know, like that's well, and by healthy, I mean a little bit more flexible, you know, like that's, um, that your whole, um, self-concept and like your whole, your confidence, um, isn't intertwined into winning and losing. Um, so again, I think it's a really delicate mental health with athletes is a really delicate thing. And, and it's one, and it's, it's really no surprise to me, um, you know, that people are having a hard, a a really hard time on the back end of transitioning and on the back end of retiring from sport because we just, try to repress a lot of things. And I, and I think it, it fueled us to get to where we were, but I, I, if there's any time to, to really hone in to mental health, I think it's in this transition period. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that having somebody, um, that can help you make sense of what's going on. And again, like, help you integrate your identity. Um, I kind of like what, what you said earlier, Joe, of like this identity transition. Um, and I think it's, it, it's more of like this, evol- yeah, it's a transition. It's an evolution. And I, I like that language better because I've heard a lot of research talk about a loss of identity when you, when you transition from sport. And I think that's bullshit. Like, I don't think you're losing your identity at all. I think you're just actually, you have to figure out how to integrate it. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that you guys use that the transition, um, 
uh, way to describe it. Absolutely. And that is the purpose of this show. Um, you know, the title of this is forever a golden bear. It's talking about how when you're an athlete, you're not just an athlete once and then you retire, it's completely done. You are an athlete for the rest of your mm. life. The things you do and the things you learn, those go through and throughout your life forever. So I want to talk about that a little bit more, um, this transition and, and how to cope with that and how to leverage your experiences as an athlete. Um, I want to talk about the intangible benefits of these thousands of hours you invested as an athlete or workouts, lifting, going through walls, all that stuff. Our audience is very interested whether the sensibilities you developed as an athlete are transferable to your post-sports work right now. So for that, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah. Perfect, Robert. Um, so Aaron, you know, we hear a lot about the advantages embedded in the mindset of former athletes at work. So, you know, discipline, time management, organization, teamwork, you know, along with, you know, those disciplines along with others that supposedly give former athletes the edge in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the edge can be, I'm sure through your research, you're trying to find, you know, the word and the language to define what the edge is. Um, but, you know, one of the books I've read recently is Grit by Angela Duckworth. Mm-hmm. And she talks about the edge as being grit and, you know, the power of passion and perseverance. And one of the quotes that she writes that I love is to be gritty is to keep putting one foot in front of the other. To be gritty is to hold fast to an interesting and purposeful goal. It's to invest day in week after week in challenging practice. To be gritty is to fall down seven times and to rise eight so how does that land for you? Yes. Um, I, I actually just, I, I been rereading, um, Angela's studies, um, you know, the, the grit, the stuff that she's, she's talked about with grit. And then also, um, before that, uh, the, how was it? Carol Dweck over at Stanford. Sorry, can I say Stanford on here? <laughs> <laughs> we'll allow it. Okay, thank you. Um, but anyhow, she had you know has this similar concept called growth mindset. Um, yeah, and I I think that these are again going back to this like these intangibles or thinking you know like these things that. Um, you know, I think you do grow as, as a, as an athlete and as part of a team of like this resilience. Um, and I also think it can be dangerous. Um, I think that there is a cost to not quitting. Um, and I think she actually goes, she touches on this lightly, but there's like a dark side of this of like, it not knowing when to stop, you know? Um, but to, to go back and and not play the devil's advocate on, on, on all sides. Um, I do think that, that there is, and I'm just seeing this like in my own graduate school program. Um, I think what really transferred over for me it's like, yes, I, I think I am more persistent. Um, and I think it actually is dangerous at times. Um, but I think what's really interesting is that I'm more aware of everybody around me. And I don't know, like, I, I'm curious if this is like, 
I mean, I imagine this is with like individual athletes too, because they're not, you know, isolated. They're, they're within a system, um, as well. Um, but I, I just, I, I, yeah, I think the reason why athletes become great members of society and great, you know, contributors, um, to companies is because, they know they, they aren't like operating in their own world, if you will. Like there is an awareness of other teammates. And, um, you know, one of my, one of my 2008 teammates, um, Lindsay Shoup just wrote a book better great than never. And she was talking about this, um, you know, in rowing, uh, it's such a wonderful, but maddening sport because you can be the fittest person around, but if you give, if you put your blade in before everybody else and you give like, you know, the impulse before everybody else, that power can be absorbed and it can, yeah, be leaked out and, and the boat won't go anywhere. You actually have to learn how to put the blade in with everybody else and apply power with everybody else in order for it to go. Um, and so I think there's, there has to be, this like balance of like, yeah, making yourself strong, but knowing that's not going to, that's not going to make, you know, everything click automatically. You have to learn, you have to learn the timing of it. Right. And you have to like do it with everybody else. Um, so yeah, I, I think that there, there's this relentless pursuit and, and wanting, you know, this ability to want to learn to do better, um, that can, you know, lead to some perfectionism, if you will. But, um, I, I really think what really makes, what makes athletes special is this ability to be aware of others. Aaron, you've been so generous with your time today. Um, so I have one last question for you. We've talked about this transition from athletics to a non-sports career. We've talked about this fine line and this balance between being really driven and into your sport, um, but also being multifaceted um, and paying attention to the other things in your life. Um, there's a lot of athletes out there who are having this transition of self-identity um, and it's really difficult. And they're having this feeling of being untethered, deeply uncertain about who they'll become and how their life will unfold. So considering everything we've talked about today, we're wondering if the 30 something year old you could give advice and career guidance to the 22 year old you, what would you recommend and what would you say? So this is, this is the me that's, that's like transitioning. Yes. You are out talking of to 22 year old Aaron right now at Cal. <sighs> Trying to, I mean, I guess cliches are cliches because they're, they're somewhat useful. Um, but, uh, I would say like you are where you're supposed to be. Like I always, I always thought I was supposed to be somewhere different or doing something more, um, or I was doing it wrong. Um, but you know, I, I was, yeah, deeply unsettled and, 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 you know, not so much cause I, I, right after Cal, because I had, you know, this other family team to, to transition to on the national team. 
but after, after I left the national team, like I was deeply unsettled. Um, and I think I'm still trying to like find solid ground a little bit. Um, but I think a lot of that was like fueled by this belief that I was doing it wrong. Like that, that me being uncomfortable was a sign that, that like, I don't know, there was something wrong with me. And I've learned that this uncertainty um, is actually just such a precious time because you're more open. Like you, uh, I was so used to being so fine tuned at something and like thinking that I was con- in control, <laughs> which is kind of like, you know, kind of, uh, the cosmic joke. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, once I, zoomed out and realized that there's so much more beyond, you know, putting the blade in the water and taking it out. Like I was overwhelmed. Um, and with that, like it was, it was, it was very disturbing and unsettling. And, and, um, I just wish I had, I had somebody or I had told myself that like, this is how you're supposed to feel. Like you're supposed to feel this way. And this means that now this is learning, like frustration, actually, they've like measured that, that sensation is you learning. That's you changing. So if you're not frustrated, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning. So I think I, yeah, would just tell myself you're where you're supposed to be. That's amazing. And really quick, how can our listeners follow you? How can they reach you? Oh gosh, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, Sneak into animate in anonymity, anonymity. I can't even say it. <laughs> so I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, uh, kind of go into, um, you know, the, the background a little bit. I, cause I, there is, yeah. there is a lot, um, there is a lot I, I still want to learn. And, and I do think I, and I do hope to like share more about this, but I, anyhow, I don't really, I'll, you can, I'll, I mean, you can find me on social media. I'm not active. Um, but you know what? Um, I will give out my personal email because I do, or maybe you can put it in the, the show notes too. We can do Cause that. It, um, I, I would love, you know, to talk to it. Well, more so listen. <laughs> I don't really have much to talk about. Well, I, I would love to listen to anybody that that's struggling right now and just, um, help them in any way. Um, I can because, uh, yeah, that's, that would be the best way to find me, not on social media or any public domain. So yeah. Um, email. Well, that's so generous of you. And I'll tell you another way that people can reach you is listen to this episode a million times. You made us think today um, in a way that I haven't thought in a long time. Um, you're reflective. You're insightful. Um, it really yeah, it changes the way I think about a lot of things. So I want to thank you for being here. You are amazing. Aww. You are, I mean, your name Thanks, just Robert. resonates throughout UC Berkeley forever. Um, oh you're my forever gosh. a Golden Bear. It, it's it just such a proud association um, to be able to speak with you. So thank you so much and go bears. I appreciate you all. Go bears. Go bears. What a thought provoking interview from Aaron Cafaro. 
Some of the key takeaways that stood out to me were the trade-offs from being hyper-focused and how we should be mindful of a balanced lifestyle. Her wisdom from reaching the pinnacle of her sport as she stood on the Olympic podium and realized there was no finish line for her. And her insights on the transition from athletics to non-sports professions. I got a lot out of that. I hope you did too. Erin generously offered to speak with those who would like to chat. You can reach her through her email listed in the show notes. You can find the podcast, show notes, and additional content and resources on the Spotlighting Episodes page at bigcsociety.org forward slash spotlighting. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the podcast, please subscribe, comment, and share the show or your favorite episodes with friends or on social media. And you can also support us by making a gift at bigcsociety.org forward slash donate. The Big C Society is a very efficient, mostly volunteer organization and a registered 501c3 charity. Each donation of $500 supports one episode, although donations of any size are welcome. I appreciate our team who works very hard week in and week out on this podcast. Our liaison directors for each sport at Cal who co-host the shows. Our production team behind today's episodes, audio, video engineering, graphics, and so forth. Along with the Big C Society president, Joe Roof, who has been pivotal in getting the society where it is today with his hard work and expertise. I appreciate you all. Lastly, if you played varsity sports at Cal and you haven't connected with us on LinkedIn, join us. Send a connection request. Our LinkedIn network is comprised of thousands of Cal varsity athletes and alumni who are among the most productive citizens of the world, just like Aaron. I'll see you in two weeks on our next amazing episode. Thank you for listening and go Bears! Go Bears!